Luke 17, 7 to 19, this is the word of Almighty God. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will they not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Pray with me. Lord, help us. Help us in your word today to respond to grace with deep gratitude. Save souls and change hearts. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. On the 3rd of October, 1863, as the United States was still bitterly struggling through the early years of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln took time to remember the great blessings of God that the nation had received. President Lincoln realized that though many were going through great hardship, God had still given the young nation, only 88 years old, far more favor than she could possibly deserve. The president felt it was appropriate to call the nation to an official national day of giving thanks to God for his blessing. I want you to listen to some of the president's words right after he discussed all the blessings God had given the United States. And you can tell me, by the way, if this sounds like something you would expect to hear from Washington today. Quote, No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father 
who dwelleth in the heavens, and I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferings in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the imposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. How's that for a president, y'all? It is a glorious thing to hear the words of a sitting president call on the nation to set aside a day, not only for thanksgiving in general, but specifically for giving thanks to God. It makes no sense to give thanks with no one to whom to give thanks. It's even more glorious to realize that Lincoln made this proclamation in one of the most difficult years of the nation's history. Still greater is the fact that the president clearly understood he's not governing a perfect nation. He was governing a nation that had sinned against the Lord and needed the Lord's mercy. How wonderful it would be to hear a sincere message calling us to repent, to give thanks to God, and to seek God's mercy. To hear that message come out of the White House, would that not be lovely? So, even before we get started here this morning, because, you know, we're kind of started, but can I just remind you of this, Christians? God calls on us to pray for those in political power. Jason led us in a prayer like that this morning in his pastoral prayer. Remember this, we serve a sovereign God. Remember, the hearts of kings are in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord can turn those hearts any way he chooses. And no politician today, not even the president of the United States, is beyond the reach of God's almighty hand, should the Lord choose to change him. So Christians, pray for your president. I don't care if you like him. Pray for him. How great would it be if God saved his soul and drew him to repentance? Would you not love that? Would you not give thanks for that? Now, I'm sure you guys know, this week, we've got a national holiday coming up, right? How many of you already planned for it? We call this holiday Thanksgiving. Some people, of course, use this day as an excuse to eat turkey. Honestly, a pastime I don't totally understand, but uh, there are ways to do it. We'll discuss turducken in another lesson. But, uh, or what did Jesse refer to? uh, What was it? Gobble and squeak? Okay, oink and gobble. I, I knew it was something like that. Ask her about that. That's a good idea right there. Some people use the day as an excuse to watch football and not go to work or start their shopping. 
Now, other people are thankful on Thanksgiving. But they don't know whom to thank. That's pretty sad. But there are some, those who know the Creator, who give God thanks for His great provision and marvelous, marvelous grace. When you get ready to celebrate this week, and I hope you feast, let every tasty bite remind you of the sweet kindness of your God. That's what it's there for. Now, there are people as well who holidays this time of the year are hard. Some of you guys have just experienced losses, and it makes this a blue season. Be reminded that the God we serve, the Lord who created us, knows you, and he understands your hurt even better than you do. And God wants you, even in a season that feels difficult, to remember the grace that he's given us in the Lord Jesus. God wants you to set your hope on him, on his goodness, on his eternal promises. God wants you to come to him, even for shelter, even for comfort. He wants you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you, even in this season that hurts. But this morning, today, we're going to spend some time getting ready for Thanksgiving. I don't care if the world around you realizes it, whether they take advantage of this day or not. It's a good day. It's a good holiday. We're for it. You guys are pro-Thanksgiving in general, right? Amen. So let's prepare and let's look at the word of God and let it call us to true thanksgiving, true gratitude to God. Now, I will tell you that today's sermon will be a little different than our norm. Sunday school was different than the norm. Why shouldn't the sermon be, right? We're not going to try to outline this passage per se. It just doesn't roll that way in my mind this morning. But what we're going to do is walk through this passage, there's really two passages in Luke 17. And we're going to find four points of application at the end. So you will get stuff to write down. And while we do it, besides the application points, we're going to see that there are some kind of people in the world who do not know God and who have a desperate need for God's grace. We're going to see that there are people who do know God, but their hearts aren't overflowing with thanksgiving to God. And there are a few, a blessed few, who know God and whose hearts are filled to overflowing with the joy that they have in our God, a joy that bubbles out of their lives in thanksgiving. And as we get started, even now, ask God, tell you, tell me, Lord, which kind of person am I? Ask him to help you to become someone who knows him, who's overjoyed by him, and whose joy expresses itself in true thanksgiving. Can you guys do that? Luke 17, 7 to 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping, uh, plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will they not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. 
Uh, I think you can say this is a bit of a stern word from Jesus to start us today. Jesus is helping us to see that it's not good for a person to think God owes him something. And that's something we need to hear because it addresses the temptation many of us face. Think about how you think about serving God. I want you to think about you giving your all for the glory of God. You will think of this in one of two ways. It's possible that you will see God allowing you to serve him to be a kindness that you don't deserve. But there are some people that think of serving God as them giving God something, maybe even putting God in their debt. Some folks actually let themselves believe that if they serve God a little bit, God has to give them stuff they want in return. Some act as if God is quite lucky to have them on his team. I don't know if you've ever felt like God was lucky to have you on his team. But that's the tree Jesus is chopping down here. Thinking you're so important that God owes you something is dishonoring to God. There's just no joy in it. If you're going to give thanks rightly, you've got to get rid of that right away. Well, Jesus teaches the disciples here, and he uses an illustration, a story, to help his followers learn something about proper humility and thankfulness. So imagine there's a farmer, and let's just imagine, for sake of argument, he's got one and only one servant, hireling. And the farmer and the servant, they go, they work in the field all day. They do the work they're supposed to do. And they come back to the house at the end of the day. The farmer does not serve the servant. No, the servant has more work to do by his job description. It's the job of the servant to get dinner ready for the farmer. That's the background of what Jesus is giving us here in this illustration. It would be silly for the servant to expect that the, that the farmer owes him dinner. It would be strange for the lowly servant to look at the farmer and expect that the farmer, the master, would wash the servant's feet and fix the servant dinner and wait at table on the servant. It just didn't make sense to the culture then. It's a simple truth. All of Jesus' followers would have identified with this and they would have had no qualms about it whatsoever. Then in verse 9, Jesus makes it plain what this is all about, what we're supposed to learn from it. Some people think if they serve God, God should be grateful to them for their obedience to his commands. So grateful. Y'all, that's nuts. You know it, right? When we obey God, we do only what is right, what is required of us. Obeying God, following God, giving your life for the glory of God, that's not you going above and beyond the call of duty. <laughs> no, no. 
Obeying the commands of God is our job. We shouldn't think that God's going to say to us one day, Oh, oh, Ben, you've been serving me too much. Take a break, you holy man. Disobey me a little bit. It's okay. You've earned it. I'm just so grateful for you. No. In verse 10, Jesus says, we are to say to God, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. And there's a difference in kinds of people and a different view of thanksgiving. Some people believe that if they do anything that follows the commands of God, God should be really impressed by them. They think if they come to church, if they give, if they choose not to cheat on their spouse or go out and get wildly drunk, that God should be really, really impressed with them. Really pleased. Really grateful. And God says that view's backward. When we obey God, when we do what God commands, what are we doing? We're doing our rightful duty. Who made you? God. Who owns you? God. God saved every one of us who are saved. And we owe God more than our lives are worth. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20, a familiar passage says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Let's see if you can fill in some of this verse. You are not your own, for you were what? You were bought with a price. You are bought and paid for. So glorify God in your body. Dear friends, let's never think we're going to impress God or put God in our debt because we really did well this week. Don't think that God's going to be overflowing with gratitude that we choose on occasion not to sin. I'm going to guess, I'm just going to guess that Kelly, when Andrew goes to work, he doesn't come home and sing, you should praise me, Kelly. I didn't take up with another woman today. <laughs> should Kelly be impressed that he didn't? No. <laughs> it's his job not to do that. I'm going to guess that when Jason gets home from work, he doesn't say to Lynn, boy, I told the boss good things. I said, I did not steal stuff today. Praise me, boss. No, it's your job not to steal stuff. Our God is our creator and all things, all things, let me hear you understand this, all things belong to him. You do not make God bigger by obeying God or littler by disobeying God. 
Instead of you thinking God owes you because you do a right thing, we should be thankful, grateful to a God who has chosen to make us his children even though we have failed him time and time and time and time again. Christians, God loves you greatly, but he doesn't owe you something. He loves you, but he's not impressed by you. Can you live with the fact that God is not blown away with your goodness? Let's go further in the passage. Most sermons would have had that as a sermon and then they handle this next part as a whole new sermon. But I want you to see a running theme because Thanksgiving is in both and attitudes of different people is present and you're going to see what's right. Luke 17 uh, 11 to 13 now. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Got Jesus walking along. Runs into 10 lepers. People suffering from leprosy, what the Bible but the people those days called leprosy were utterly hopeless. You get that, right? Their bodies wasted away, rotted and fell apart. They died horrible, painful deaths. And even before they died, they suffered. Those who were diagnosed with leprosy had to separate themselves from the community. They had to live at a distance from healthy people so as not to infect them. You guys remember when we were put out for having to like keep six feet of distance in certain places? Can you fathom actually having to live away from everybody because you really were going to kill people if they got near you? Well, 10 of these poor sick folks cross Jesus' path and they cry out to Jesus for mercy. Just for the fun of it, think about what these guys have to believe. What do they have to know even to cry out to Jesus right here for mercy? Well, one thing they know, they know they don't have hope apart from Jesus or they don't ask, right? They know they need him. If Jesus doesn't heal them, they ain't getting healed. Notice also, there's no demand here. It's a request. They know Jesus does not owe them anything. They also know, should Jesus heal them, it's an act of mercy, not obligation. What do they call Jesus? Master, Lord. They know Jesus is more than your average guy walking down the street. And the very fact that they ask Jesus to help them says that they know Jesus has the ability to do what they're asking. Think about it. You wouldn't ask somebody to pick you up and carry you unless you assumed they're strong enough to pick you up and carry you. Right? This is why you guys don't come ask me to pick you up and carry you. I bet you know I can do it. But, But you don't think so. So there we go, right? There's other guys in the church you're more apt to go ask to pick you up and carry you, right? Because some guys are trained in that. 
I'm not making a Jason Montenegro comment, I promise. Okay, so, verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. How does Jesus heal people in the Bible? Lots of ways, right? Sometimes he touches the person he heals. Sometimes he doesn't. One time, Jesus spat, made mud, and put it on a blind guy's eyes. That seems mean, but it was a healing thing. Once, he put his fingers in a deaf man's ears and spoke a word of command. This time, Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. Does that sound weird to you? Jesus doesn't tell them, you're going to be fine. He just said, go. Now, showing yourself to a priest, that's what a leper had to do to be pronounced well, to be pronounced clean enough to live in the normal social community again. So Jesus is actually telling them something good's coming. But it requires a response of faith on the part of those 10 men. They had to believe Jesus was going to do something just for them to turn around and take off and go toward the priests. And here's the awesome thing. The lepers were cleansed by the power of God when they went. Don't you wish we got to see what that looked like? It's not in the story. We don't see how quickly did they notice. When did they realize they were well? You get no description, description of like fresh, healthy skin appearing where death was consuming a man. You just hear that when they went, they were healed. Verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So one of the ten, he takes off walking with the group. He notices something's happened. You know, you picture like looking down at a hand that used to be all blotchy and rotting. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's clean. His skin, it, 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 it's well, it's clean, it's healthy. The sores are gone. I wonder if he talked to the others. I wonder if he, he called them to turn back with him to say thanks to Jesus. I mean, we, we don't get that data. But for some reason, this one man out of the ten, all by himself, turns around and he runs back to Jesus. And notice what he does. He praises God in a loud voice, falls at Jesus' feet, and thanks him. And please don't disconnect those apps, those acts. Don't laugh at me. I'm very old and very tired. Don't disconnect the acts. Jesus is the very God that man was praising. Jesus is God in the flesh. And for that healed man to praise the Most High and to bow in worship and thanksgiving to Jesus is pretty much the same thing. And then Luke says, by the way, the one of the ten who returned, the one guy who was properly thankful, he was a Samaritan. Nine of those guys were Jews. Nine of those guys were supposed to be the people of God. Nine of those should have wanted to properly show gratitude 
For the one that God sent into the world to push back the curse of death and bring life to God's people. But for some reason, the Israelites who were healed didn't feel any compulsion to praise God and thank Jesus. Only one man, a foreigner, had the heart to return to Jesus and give thanks. And then 17 to 19, then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus wants his followers to learn from what's happened here. He points out that indeed, 10 were cleansed. All 10 should have come back. All 10 should have given thanks. But only one did. And him, a foreigner. The people of God who heard this account should have felt the sting of a rebuke in those words from Jesus. But then Jesus looks at the cleansed Samaritan and he sends him off on his way. That man, in an act of God's grace, through the vehicle of faith, has been made well. That man is now able to live because of the healing power of Jesus Christ. Okay, we've reached the end of the passage. What are we supposed to learn? Where should you and I be convicted and encouraged by God? As we wrap up this morning, hang with me, and I'll share with you four points of quick application. First, from that first section, 7 to 10, Realize we are to be thankful to God, not the other way around. Realize that we are to be thankful to God, not the other way around. The whole farmer-servant passage goes in line, right? God is intentionally contrasting for us in these two passages the attitudes of some people with the Samaritan who was healed. Some people think if they do a few acts of service to God, oh, should God be impressed? Some people would think, maybe like the nine lepers who, who didn't return to Jesus, maybe, maybe God owes them healing. Maybe God owes me comfort. Maybe God owes me an easier life. By the way, be honest with yourself right now. How many of you have had those moments where you want to say, God, I've been faithful enough that my life should be easier than what it is. You can't tell me that's not a temptation. But when I say it out loud, how ugly does it sound? Jesus teaches us plainly we are the ones who should be grateful to God. God is not going to be grateful to us. Yes, God will reward faithful servants. But it's not out of obligation. God rewards us out of grace and kindness, not because he owes us something. God's the creator. God's the master. God's the owner of all things. 
Let me ask you, what could you give God that would make God say, wow, I owe him one? You think if you gave your entire life to God, that that would put God in your debt? No. God doesn't owe us anything at all. And by the way, when he doesn't give us the judgment that he could owe us, we should be very, very grateful. With me? Second, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Let's think about how the lepers were cleansed. Because it looks like how you are saved by God. Are you a Christian? Let it cause you to think about your salvation. If you're hearing me and you aren't sure where you stand with God, listen close. This should help you to know how you can be right with the God who made you. First, the lepers were desperately sick, right? They were, for all intents and purposes, dead. They had no hope. Well, where were you and I before Jesus? We were in sin. We had transgressed against God. We were dead. You guys read the verses out loud this morning in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All people everywhere have sinned against God. That's not a world-surprising statement to you, is it? We're all guilty. Nobody's perfect, right? The sin that we have committed, the sin of Adam, the very first sin, infects us all with the disease of death. If we don't have our sins forgiven by God, we're not just going to die in this life, though. We'll die forever. We'll spend forever separated from the goodness of God. And we will suffer his wrath for our sins forever in hell. That's the result of dying without the grace of God. I would urge you not to do that. We were... Some people still are as desperate for the help of God as were the ten lepers. Well, Jesus came to the place where the lepers were. They cried out to him. They called him Jesus. They called him Master. They asked him, have mercy on them. And that is a perfect picture of how men are saved. We are walking around in our sin, dead to God, and Jesus comes to us. You don't go find Jesus. Jesus comes to you. And we're supposed to recognize Jesus as more than just a man. We call him master. We call him Lord. We acknowledge he's in charge. We acknowledge he is God come to earth. And then when you know that stuff, there's really only one right response. Just like the lepers, we cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy. That's how anybody is ever saved. Romans 10, 
I'm going to read 9 to 13. It's very familiar. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how can Jesus have mercy on us? Jesus came to earth and he intentionally gave up his life, dying as a sacrifice for the sins of others on the cross at Calvary. Jesus rose from the dead and he proved once and for all that he perfectly paid the price for the sins of God's children. Everyone who will believe in Jesus, who will cry out to him for mercy, believing him to be their master and savior, every one of those will be saved. And if you haven't done that, if if you haven't, I urge you, run to Jesus in your heart Believe who Jesus is. Believe what Jesus has done and cry out to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me and take charge of my life. He will save you too. Third, this is a quickie, but a good one. Rejoice in God's diverse family. Rejoice in in God's diverse family. There was one healed person who came back to Jesus, and where was he from? He is from Samaria. Nobody likes Samaritans. To the Jew who heard this, it would have seemed absolutely absurd. But don't you all think God was making a point? The good news of Jesus Christ is not for any one particular people group. The good news is not about Jews, and it's not about Gentiles. It's not about white people or brown people. It's not about Asian people. It's not about rich people. It's not about poor people. It's not about men. It's not about women. It's not about tall people. It's not about short people. It's not about any way that you might divide us up. The good news is that God is making a family out of all kinds of people, out of all kinds of nations, and all kinds of ethnic groups over all the earth. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. If there is even a vestige in you that looks at people differently or treats people worse because of their accent, because of their look, because of what country they grew up in, because of whether they have more or less money than you, you need to kill that because God has a diverse family. And finally, and put this on this week, Give thanks with joy. 
Give thanks with joy. What a model of thanksgiving we see in the life of that one leper who came back to Jesus. Christians, don't let this pass you by. When the one man saw what God had done in his life, what Jesus did in his life, he turned and he ran back to Jesus. And he praised God with what kind of voice? Look at verse 18, 19, whatever it is, I don't remember, maybe earlier. He praised God with a loud voice. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet and he said over and over again to Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why did he give Jesus thanks? Do you think maybe it was out of a sense of duty or obligation that he did it? You think this guy was walking down like, ah, now I got to turn around. Go all the way back there and tell Jesus thank you because it's the right thing to do. Do you get that sense? No way. This guy saw what God had done. He was overwhelmed with joy. He was so very happy about what God had done. He had to say something. He had to praise God. In fact, if you had tried to stop him from giving thanks, you would have robbed him of the expression of his joy. Christians, this is what God really wants you and me to learn today. When you've been saved for real, when you grasp what God has done for you for real, you will give Thanks. When you see that you were a sinner, but God loved you anyway and brought you into his family and calls you a saint, and you know how saintly you are, you will give thanks. When you see that you had nothing to offer to God, but God said to you, I adopt you as my child, you will give thanks. You don't need to be prodded to give God thanks. You will not have to be commanded to give God thanks. You will give God thanks because you've got a joy in you that has to overflow in thanksgiving. You will be compelled by your happiness to say to Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. No way would you even consider that God owes you something. You will desire the more you grasp the gospel to worship God with all your heart, giving God thanks. You know why? Giving God thanks will give you even more joy. And having more joy, what's it going to cause you to do? What do you do when you get joy from God? You give God thanks, which will cause you to have Joy, which will make you give God thanks. Are you tracking? And when you give God thanks, what's that going to do? It's going to give you. And what will you do? And then what will you get? And then what will you do? Keep it up. That's how this works. Christians, it's Thanksgiving week. Will you give thanks? 
if you would be happy, and we all want to be happy, you will give thanks. Let's pray together. Lord, it's a joy. It's a joy to think about the gospel. And it's joy to give you thanks. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be the most thankful people ever. The most joy-filled people ever. I pray that there will be such a circulating cycle of soul satisfaction that we give thanks and that we have joy. And so we must praise, so we give thanks, so we get joy, so we must praise, so we give thanks because you're worth it. That this will be the most thankful Thanksgiving we've ever had. And I pray that as we go out among co-workers and friends, I pray that we will point them to Jesus and we'll point them to why we give thanks. And I pray that we'll eat good food and we'll enjoy a time of rest and every good bite and every sweet moment will remind us of the sweetness of the gospel. Help us to be a saved God-glorifying, thankful people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.